just the words that we've just been singing, all that you have done for us. And your grace is so amazing. And each day you, you pour it out on us. And we get the opportunity to live in that cloud of grace, if you will. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have in freedom to open your word. I pray that we would understand your word, that your spirit would use it in our hearts. I pray that our our thoughts would be focused on you this morning. And in the middle of whatever it is that we face, and in this room there's a lot of different things that are going on in people's lives. I pray that your spirit would be free to touch our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us the last little while, uh, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Timothy, and I want to continue doing that this morning. And uh, the passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at may seem, uh, as you look at the, uh, the title appointing elders, it may seem like, wow, that's, uh, that, that might be a little dry. Um, we're talking about qualifications of, of elders or a position or something in the church. But I want you to look at this maybe as, as something a, a little bit different than that. I want you to think about it from this angle. The qualifications that we're going to talk about about being an elder or being someone who's leading in the church um, are not just specific to one group of people. God actually set this up, and when, you, when we read through these and we begin to study them, we begin to break them down, one of the things that you're going to realize is this is actually what he's asking of all believers. It's not just a role that's played by one group of people. It's what God is asking us as a body, as a whole, to live out some qualifications, some different ways of living life. And that's really what we talked about last week as well, right? We spent last week talking a little bit about some roles and responsibilities that we as men and women have in the church. And that discussion is very real and very meaningful in, in light of where we live and when we live. And I, I think it was for Paul, too, when he's writing this. Obviously, he wouldn't have taken the time to write it if it didn't affect the people that he was talking to. But often when we look at it from our angle, we go, wow, it's even more apparent the need for difference, the need for living life in a different way today than maybe it was for Paul. The discussion that we're going to start this morning is kind of in like manner of what we did last week in that there are some qualifications that God sets up and he says, look, if things are going to run really well, if if the church is going to function the way that I had in mind, then there's a way it should be done. And if you looked in 1 Corinthians, he says this, that he wants everything to be done decently and in order. He's not a God who is a God of chaos. And just look at creation and how he made creation. He's not a God of chaos. If you spend very much time looking at all of the little individual pieces of of creation, God is into every minute detail of how things work. And he's the same when it comes to his church. When God speaks into and sets up the way things should happen in the church, and and he sets out kind of a pattern of how things should be, we should stop and take notice because God does everything for a reason. He's the designer, the creator, first of all, of us as human beings, and then of the living, breathing organism called the church. 
And I would think that if he set up some qualifications or some order as to how things should be, he probably did it on purpose for the growth and development of his church. So for the next few moments, I want to talk about some of the characteristics that God has, has set for an elder or an overseer or a pastor or a bishop. Those words, by the way, are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And he set some qualifications for that role, and he did it on purpose, and I want to talk through a a few of those. Remember, once again, we are answering the question all the way through this book is, what should we be doing in the church? And we will answer that again this morning. One more reminder as we begin this little journey of these qualifications that Christ, in Colossians, we're told this, that Christ is the head of the body, the church. We are not. Someone who's seen as a pastor or a minister or a bishop or an overseer of the church is not the head of the church. They are not the one who everything goes back to them. That's not the way that goes. It goes back to Scripture. It goes back to the truth of the Word of God. As your pastor, I am not the final answer on what God thinks about the church or what God thinks about morality or what God thinks about the way that we should live or act within the world that we live in. God is the one who sets that up. And he is, Christ is the head of the church. He's the one who ultimately we answer to as a body of believers. If this is true, that he is the head, then he has the right to direct how the church or how the body should function. We have entered now in this 1 Timothy, into the New Testament, and there's a massive shift that takes place in the New Testament. There's a massive shift in the structure of of how people relate to God from the Old Testament through the priest and the sacrificial system to the New Testament where Jesus shows up and Jesus becomes the sacrifice, the living sacrifice for all of humanity. And he pays the price that was being represented by the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes and he lives his perfect life the 30 years, the 30 plus years on the earth and he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood for you and for me. And we're going to celebrate that in a few minutes with communion. And he he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross and then three days later he's raised, right? He comes back to life and he lives and he pays the ultimate price for my sin and for your sin. And this radical shift happens with how humanity, how us, how we, get to relate to God. And instead of having to go through a system of sacrifices and a priest who would take your sins before God and would pray for the forgiveness of sins, now we have complete access into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. What a radical shift. And in that radical shift in the New Testament, something else happens, and that is this, that that the church is now born. Prior to Jesus going to the cross, there is no church. There's a group of saints who, who would celebrate and go to the tabernacle to worship God, but, but there's no church like we know it today. And so in the book of Acts, after Christ goes back to heaven to live in heaven, and he sends the Holy Spirit, which was the promise that he said. He said, look, when I leave, I'll send a comforter. I'll send someone just like me to live with you, to direct you, to guide you. And Jesus does that, and he sends the Holy Spirit. And we hit the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the church is born. 
And Paul becomes the first, one of the first missionaries who starts planting churches. And when he plants churches, you'll see if you take a little bit of time to read the book of Acts, that he goes from church to church, and the Bible tells us this, he establishes elders or overseers over the body. And throughout the book of Acts, you see this, that not only does he establish them, here's Paul, he's the great church planner, right? And he's planting these churches and he establishes these overseers. But then you read this, that Paul and Barnabas on one of their missionary trips, they, they, the, the church in, in Jerusalem had a famine, they were really struggling. And so these newly started churches, they take up an offering to help this struggling mother church, if you will, the one that all these guys came out of. And Paul and Barnabas grab this offering and they take it back. And when you read it in Acts 11, it says that he presented it to the elders of the church, the overseers, the elders of the church. They were acting as those who were giving oversight to the body. And then you see this, that when struggles came up in the church, it says that Paul and the apostles, who were the ones who were starting all this, they sat down with the elders, the ones who were giving oversight and they discussed the issues together to come to a resolution of how the body should grow and develop and what God, through the Holy Spirit, would have for the body. So it's very apparent in the New Testament that from the very beginning, God set up an order, a way to help the body function without chaos, right? And that's what we're actually talking about this morning. So that was the introduction. You ready? First, First Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you for, or with you. First Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires, desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above approach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Those, in a nutshell, are the qualifications of a guy who's going to be an overseer, a pastor, an elder, a leader in the church. And he makes these qualifications, and, and when we read them, they're like, oh yeah, that's a great list, but let me break them down for you. There's really four different types of qualifications that are found in this passage. And when I'm giving to them, if you're sitting here this morning and go, well, I never want to be an elder, I'm checking out. Don't, okay? For two reasons. Reason number one, these are not just qualifications for an elder, they're for every believer. These are things that every believer should be working toward. They should be, we should be working in our daily life to become more Christ-like. And that's what these are really about. Number two, 
You need to be praying for those who are in oversight over the church, and not just Mossbrook Church, but the church as a whole. And if you're praying for those believers, you need to know how and what to pray for. And these help you understand some of the issues to be praying for, for those folks who are leading. So from our brief look at the book of Acts, you know that this position was set up by God, that there would be an overseer. It's a role, a function that is set up by God to make his church function well. And in this short piece of scripture that we just read, he gives us four different types of qualifications for those who are going to fill that role. The first type of qualification is this. It's a personal qualification. These are internal characteristics that drive this person. These are qualities or characteristics that this person can work on all the time. And and they're really, if you look at it, they're they're not that complicated. They're be above reproach. In other words, you should be the type of person that nobody can point a finger at and say, hey, I question their character in this issue. That's what it's talking about. In order to be that person, you have to do some homework internally. And you have to spend some time working on your own private life. If you were in my spiritual disciplines class over the last couple of years, one of the things we talk about is this, that there can't be a very big gap between your private life, what's going on inside, and your public life, what goes on on the outside. And that's what this is talking about. It's saying that your private life, what's going on on the inside of you, and your public life need to come close together. And what I tell the people in that class is this, that they should be so close that you can't get a paper down between those two lives. When you look at your private life and your public life, is there a big gap? And he says, above reproach. Above reproach. The husband of one wife. I don't think I have to spend much time talking about that. It makes pretty sense. He's saying, look, I need you. If you're married, I need you to make a commitment. I need you to burn all other ships. There's no other connections in your life. There's no other, there's no other relationships that, that are inappropriate in your life. I need you as the man that you are to be committed to the wife that I gave you. And it's your one and only and that is it. The husband of one wife. I need to be self-controlled. In other words, there's nothing that's an external that has control of your life or there's nothing as an internal that has control of your life and drives you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. I need you to be sensible. In other words, I need you to have a little bit of common sense. I need you to stop. Uh, uh, Tara was telling us those times when you get a a little befuddled in life where you stop and you slow down and you think things through. I need you to have some common sense. I need you to stop and I need you to think. I need you to be respectable. I need you to be hospitable. I need you to care about other people and their needs and reach out to those people. And then he says, I need you able to teach. And I like that last one in terms of as an internal because if you're going to teach something, you have to know it really, really well or you can't give it away. Each one of these take time and effort. These don't happen on a weekend. (laughs) We live in an instant society, folks, where everything that we do in life, everything that we want to do, it's immediate, right? Just to add water and throw it in 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 the microwave and you got it. That's what we want. 
We want our whole life to function like that. We want to be able to take the shortest route possible with the greatest benefits possible. And these internal qualities that he's talking about come over a lifetime lived in one direction, very intentional, doing the same thing over and over and over, learning, being disciplined, pouring the word of God down into my heart, letting it seep deep into my being and affecting who I am and who am I, I'm becoming. And if you're sitting there this morning, you say, ah, good, Tim, these are qualifications for an elder, so I don't have to do it. You're wrong. It's what God calls all of us to in our personal life to become the God-honoring person that is Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. He goes from internal to external in verse 3. In verse 3, he says this, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not greedy. All of these have to do with the lack of control in your life. Excessive drinking means that I can't say no. A bully means I'm the one who has to be in control all the time. It's all about power. I want to dominate people so that they yield to my will. Quarrelsome, someone who's always picking a fight, always looking for an argument. Greedy, looking for how this benefits me all the time. Everything I'm doing, how does this benefit me? How do I come out on top? The evidence of these is seen in how we live out our everyday life. Those who live in close proximity to me will notice all of these characteristics in my life. They'll notice when I push too hard. They'll notice when I'm always picking an argument. They'll notice when I don't have self-control and I can't say no to whether it's drink or it's some other thing in my life. Once again, these externals are not something that just a few people need. We all need them in our life. But our overseers, our leaders, definitely need them. Because our overseers are called to be an example of what it means to live a Christ-like life. What does it mean to look like Christ? What does it mean to say yes to Christ? What does it mean to yield my will to Jesus Christ? The next set of qualifications here are domestic in nature. It's interesting that God wants to cover every aspect of our life. And those domestic ones, he says, is to manage your own household. And often we get caught on the second part of this, which is to have control of your own children. To make sure that your own children behave. You too? Behave. You have to listen. It's the Bible. You got that? Okay, cool. They gave me a thumbs up. You guys saw that? All right. The whole idea here of managing your house well, though, guys, and we often get caught on just the children's side of this, has to do with our whole household. God is so practical. And when he talks about this, our whole household is made up with how we handle the things that God has entrusted to us. That we're careful, we're a good steward with what he's given us and we use it to his glory and his benefit. That our finances are in order and we're using those in a way that are just not for my own good, but they're for the good of the body of Jesus Christ. They're, they're for the good of the community that I live in. That I have a responsibility to the whole 
not just myself. And so when he's talking about managing your household well, he's taking all of those aspects of us living our daily life and he's saying, look, do you have, have you allowed the Spirit of God to have not just a peek into your everyday life, but have you allowed him to have control of every aspect of your life? Or is your household chaotic? When you go home, is it a place of rest? Often when our household is chaotic, we go home and we're on screech and we feel anxious and we can't let go. We can't be at peace. And that's the exact opposite of what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, I need you to manage the whole, all of it, very well. The last set of qualifications in this are qualifications of maturity. And he ends this by saying this, don't allow a novice to be an overseer. Because if you allow a novice to be an overseer, the, the ability that he has or the position that he has may go to his head and all of a sudden it becomes a power struggle. I have the power to tell people what to do. Woohoo! They have to listen to me. And Paul says, no, there needs to be some maturity here so that it doesn't become about power because the position of elder or overseer or pastor is not about power at all. It's about being Christ-like. And Christ was the greatest servant that there ever was. If you remember Christ right before going to the cross, grabbed a towel, sat down with his disciples, and he put the towel on, and he took a basin of water, and he said, I, as your leader, as your overseer, actually the scripture says this, that he was their shepherd. I, as your leader, I want to sit down and I want to do the biggest service so physically so that you can see it. Here's a symbol of my servanthood to you. And in that day, washing someone's feet as they came to your house was an act of service. And Jesus took that towel. And he put it on and he took a picture of water, a basin of water, and he sat down and knelt down at the, at the disciples' feet and he began to wash. And he said, my role is not for power. It's not for greatness. My role is to be the servant to you. If you remember, one of the disciples said, no, I can't. Jesus says, yeah, I need to be the greatest servant to you. And you can only be a servant, be a great leader and a servant if you have maturity. See, Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was God who chose to come and serve at the lowest level. So that we, as humans, could be made right with our Father. And so these roles and responsibilities that are given here in Scripture are not given so that we would become powerful and we would become recognized in the church. That's not why they're there. The roles that are given here are so that we can serve one another well. So we can care for the body graciously. So that we can lead folks to the feet 
of Jesus Christ so that we can introduce them to a relationship with a God who loves them immensely. The qualities that are given are so that a mature man of God can serve the body well. That's the point. That's why these are here. Not a, not, not, a, not a novice, not a brand new believer. Not one who tries to make much of himself. It's a huge responsibility to serve the body. He ends that passage with saying this, also respected in the community. And what that means is this, they've lived some life. They've got some life under their belt. They've lived for a while around people and their their character is consistent and all of the people that they've bumped into into the community say the same thing about them. There's not a whole bunch of different stories. They're all the same because they're mature and they're walking with Christ. So why do these qualifications matter? Why would I take 20 minutes of your time this morning to talk through these qualifications of pastors and leaders and overseers in the church. Here's why. Because God calls us as a church to swim against the current that we're living in. Because today the feeling is, I should be able to live my life however I want and still be a leader. I should should be able to do whatever I want with whomever I want No strings attached, my own way. And God says, no, I have a distinct plan for you. And if you live that plan out, the church will become a beacon and symbol of my love and my grace for mankind that will draw man, that will draw humanity back to their creator. I have a plan for you that if you live out the role that that I have set up for you will change your relationships within the church and within the community that you live. So what should we be doing as a church? Well, I believe in light of this passage, we should be praying for those who are overseers in our body. We should be asking God to grant them the self-discipline, the grace, the ability to serve the way God has ordained them to serve. I believe that each one of us as Christ followers should be, should be desiring and seeking to make these qualities part of our everyday life. If you stop for a moment and you think about these qualifications... There's no reason why each one of us could not be this person that's that's described in this passage of Scripture. The same Holy Spirit who lives in me, if you're a Christ follower, lives in you. The same power that comes from God that lives in me through the presence of the Holy Spirit lives in each one of you. The same access that I have into the presence of God, you also have. Hebrews says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest who stands in the very presence of God and has access to all that God has. Every rich, every richness, every grace 
Every ability that God has is yours through the Holy Spirit. And so each of these qualities can also be found in each one of us. And that should be our goal as a body. Think with me for a moment what a difference we could make in our community, in our families, with the people that we spend time with, if each of these qualities were evident to everyone who rubbed shoulders with us. Wow, what a difference we would make. And that's possible. You want to know why it's possible? Because Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and for mine and offers us the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit each and every day of our lives. This morning, we want to celebrate communion, and that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you're not a believer, if you're just checking church out, don't worry. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing strange that we're going to ask you to do. Communion is simply taking a piece of bread and a, a, a cup of juice, and it's a, a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's a reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid the price for our sin. And this morning, we want to celebrate that together. Matthew chapter 26, verses, verse 26 starts, and it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus said to them, But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. And after that, they sang a hymn, and they left. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the Lord's broken body, the, the blood that was shed to pay the price for our sin. And when we do that, the guys will hand out the bread and the cup. And, and as you're prepared, go ahead and take one of those. And as, as your heart is prepared, go ahead and take that in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus did that as the head of the church so that his body, the church, could make an impact in and on the world that they live in. And that's what we've been talking about this morning. That's God's desire for us, to make an impact on the world we're living in. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for how clear you write things in Scripture for us and even the reason behind why you do it. Thank you for the qualifications that you've laid out, not only for overseers and elders, but for every believer, that we could live the life that you've asked of us by your Spirit. Thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that you chose to die for me. You chose to shed your precious blood so that I could have life, that I could be restored in my relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you for the presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit in my life, the way that you convict me when I'm wrong. You point out the sin in my life, and, and then through him you forgive and you bring healing and you restore that relationship that I have with you. Thank you. 
Help us now in the next few moments as we celebrate what you've done to be reminded of your greatness. In your name we pray, amen. I hope that that is true, what you've just been singing as we've celebrated communion, as we've said thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, that you've made a decision that it's Christ and he's enough and I'll live and I'll follow for him. I'll live for him each and every day. I'll put him first. If that's your heart's prayer, the Holy Spirit will help you to live out the qualifications we've just talked about. To honor him and be Christ-like in your everyday life. The passage of scripture we finished with in Matthew 26 says that as Jesus talked to his disciples and he set up the Lord's table, they sang a hymn and then they left. And when they left, you know what they did? They left and they were the church. They lived out the truth of who Jesus Christ is each and every day. So go and be the church today. Live out the truth of who Jesus Christ is in you. You're dismissed.